Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Come on, I know everything around us isn't good. Everything around us may not be going well even. It might be going badly. It may be the worst that it's ever been. But what's happening around me doesn't change who God is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord even in my mess and wreck. For he is good. And his steadfast love endures forever. Verse 2, I love this. So let somebody say something about it. Let the redeemed of the Lord stop begging, crying, pleading, and praying and start saying that they are redeemed because they have been redeemed from trouble. Now, I've been taught that if I see something in the Old Testament, it's very good for teaching and correction and consideration, something I could probably learn. If I see something in the New Testament, very similar, that I need to look at the context. I got stuff flying around. That I, I need to look at the context and I need to be careful not to make doctrine out of one verse or one scripture or one passage even. But the fullness of what the author meant and what God wanted to say in according to his entire word, not just that one passage. But if I see it in the Old Testament and I see it again in the New Testament, then you can hang your faith on that one. That's more than just a good scripture. That's now doctrine. It is sound doctrine that you can place your faith upon. And so with that in mind, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus, chapter 1, verse 5, he says, He, who is he? God, the Father, predestined us for adoption. Isn't that good news? That from the very beginning, even in the midst of our fallenness and disobedience, God put in place a plan that predestined us for adoption despite the fact that we weren't obedient. He predestined us for adoption to himself as children, sons, and daughters through Jesus Christ. According to the purpose of his will, verse 6, to the praise. Look, listen. If you're going to produce what God has for you, it will always require praise on your, on your part. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Now listen, that's not the beloved is sometimes the entire church. But in this passage, in this context, it's the one whom he loves. Emphasis on the one, that is Jesus. I'm almost done. I'm going to let you sit down and then I'm going to stand here for the rest of the time while y'all stare at me. Verse 7, this is where I wanted to go. This is the last one. I'll let you sit. In him, only in him, we have redemption through his blood. Never take for granted the blood of Jesus. Through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, our sins, according, here's how great the blood is, it is a representation of the riches of the grace stored up in heaven by Almighty God. Come on, let's pray. Father, I thank you that you heard our prayers today. God, I pray right now that you would give us ears to hear. Help us to hone in to what you would have to say. God, give us a heart that is softened, softened and made delicate to, to receive this morning. 
And God, I pray that you would give us the mind of Christ that we would understand and comprehend how what you are saying applies to our lives. Not the lives of other people we think need to hear this message, but our lives. God, I pray that you would anoint the communication of this word. And I pray, O oh Lord, that it would not return unto you void, but it would produce what you sent it to produce and that it would prosper everywhere that it goes. I pray that you would use this word today to transform us. May we not hear this and leave the same, but may we be transformed from the inside out in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen and amen. Come on, give God praise one more time before you're seated. Turn around and say hi to somebody as you're sitting down. You can just turn and wave and shake a hand or high five. If you see anybody sitting alone, tell them you're sorry that you were so self-absorbed this morning that you came to church and didn't notice that somebody was sitting by themselves. Could you imagine, imagine with me as a precursor to the message, um, imagine with me um, setting up a table and preparing this great banquet and then putting a stool over in the corner and your whole family goes to sit down at that table and you let somebody walk into your house and sit in the stool by themselves and just kind of hold their plate in their laps. I think that's what we do as the church sometimes. We're so focused on eating that we show up and we just sit down and we gather around with our family and we just let somebody sit over on a stool in the corner and wonder why they don't come back to eat with us anymore. That's not even the message today. It was just on my heart this morning. I, I want to preach a message in this series that we just decided to call RE, which is a prefix. That, again, it means again or anew. So we're just going to go over this for a little while. We have another series between now and Easter. We're not going to go all the way to re resurre resurrection. We almost did. We were like, dude, we could take this all the way. But we can preach this till next year. RE, RE, it means again or anew. And today I want to talk about the most important word in Christendom. I believe the most important word that we could discuss, the word is redeem. Now, I told our prayer team this morning, it wasn't even really our prayer team, it was just those who were here with us at 6.30 this morning to pray. And they prepared this place for you to be here, and I told them, I want you to pray right now. Because there are people that will walk into this room today, and then many of them are redeemed. What does it mean? It means that they are in Christ, accomplishing God's will for their life, and they are set up to inherit the kingdom of God. That's redeemed. But there are many people who will come to this place and who will watch online all over the place who are not redeemed. They're not in Christ. They're not accomplishing God's will. They're living for themselves. And they are currently, right now, headed for eternal separation from God. Listen to me, it's never just another Sunday. It's always a Sunday for somebody to be redeemed. Even if they've been redeemed before, they can be again and anew redeemed all over again. And we prayed for you this morning as you came to this place and as you were trying to convince yourself to get up and come to this place. We had about 30 people in this worship center praying that you would understand the emphasis and the power, 
the transformation that takes place in a person who is redeemed. To redeem, according to dictionary.com and or Merriam-Webster, I just looked them both up at the same time. You remember when you had to use books? Well, I bet that was miserable, trying to write sermon with a bunch of books. I, I, I did that 15, 20 years ago. I, I had to use books to write sermons. Can you see the, the, the senior saints that have come before us, those, those that we stand upon the shoulders of today? They used to have to write three sermons a week because the church wanted them to feed them all the time. Write me a Sunday morning sermon. Write me a Sunday night sermon. Write me a Bible study on Monday morning. Come teach a Sunday school class and write me a Wednesday night sermon. And what we did is we taught a whole bunch of people how to eat at somebody else's table but not prepare their own meal. That's another message for another day. I'm thankful for the internet. I can just Google all at once. And here's the definition. Redeem. To gain or regain. Possession of something in exchange for payment. That second half is very important. To gain or regain possession of something in exchange for payment. My mind immediately, and then I got stuck here. I'll explain in a minute. But my mind immediately went to the book of Genesis. Because I believe that God created us to replace Lucifer and a third of heaven that fell. And I don't have time to explain all that, but I could do it with you personally, or maybe I'll just preach it sometime soon. I believe that he created man and woman in his image and likeness in order to replace what Lucifer left behind in his pride. And that's why Lucifer came immediately into the picture and tempted and tried the one that God had created. And by the way, the first thing that Lucifer said to the woman was this. Did God really say that? Does he really expect you to be pure, consecrated, and set apart? I mean, does he really expect you not to eat of any of this fruit? I mean, doesn't it look so good? I mean, just imagine how much fun you could have if you eat this fruit. Like, you won't even have to worry about it until you wake up tomorrow. <laughs> if you wake up tomorrow. Anyways, that's another. And in that moment, in that moment, the man and the woman, they were both there. It's still her fault, but they were both there. <laughs> be careful, because anyways, that would be hard to resist, okay? Woman, fruit, eat it. No. Okay. You know, <laughs> what chance did the guy have? Anyways, so they ate the fruit, and in that moment, in that moment, they lost what God had given them. Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 28, I don't have it in your notes. But God gave the man dominion and told him to rule, rada, that's a governmental term, to rule. God gave his authority to Adam and the woman to rule and reign on earth as he does over heaven and earth. And Adam and the woman, in disobedience, gave the dominion that God had given them back to Lucifer. And so in order to gain or regain possession of what God formerly intended for them to have, there had to be a payment. Number one, redemption has a cost. It has a price. Now, I labored over this message 
unlike I normally labor over a message. I mean, there have been times when I'll write my message and my wife will go, you're already done? And I said, well, yeah. I walk in the favor and the voice of God. All I had to do was put on paper what he's been telling me. But this week I wrote four sermons in two days or three days and I sat in front of my computer and went, hello. There's a lot of people coming this weekend. Expect me to have something that you told me. If you go ahead and download that, I'll start typing it out. That's not how it came, man. I'm telling you, I labored over this thing. And for some reason, it took me almost three hours, like just listening to different things, worshiping, studying. Like I just kept studying, and I didn't write anything down. I felt like I was getting something done. I was like, oh, yeah, that was good stuff. And then I look at my paper. I was like, I still haven't written anything down. This is writer's block. I have no idea what to write. And then all of a sudden, I don't know why, all of a sudden, because I, I knew I had to pursue and, and persist because because not producing what God wanted to produce was just not an option. Not, not producing what God wants to produce is just not an option. And so, finally, I thought of Ruth, which is kind of dumb, because I should have immediately thought of the kinsman redeemer. It should have just gone in my mind, as if I wasn't raised in Sunday school with flannel boards and sticky people. You know what I'm talking about if you don't Google it. There it is. And so I thought, by the way, Ruth is the daughter-in-law of Naomi. Naomi is a Jewish woman. She had moved into Moabite territory. Her husband had taken her there. Her two sons married Moabite women. Her husband and her two sons died. So now you have Naomi and these two Moabite women and they are deciding to come back to the Israelite territory and on the way back, Naomi turns to them and say, don't follow me, don't come with me, I have nothing to offer you. Go back home and marry men and have children and, and be on your merry way. And one of them says, thank God, because I was kind of following you, uh, you know, because that's what I'm supposed to do, like many people do Jesus. But the other one didn't accept the release. In fact, Ruth looked at Naomi and said, I will follow you wherever you go. Your God will be my God, and your people will be my people. And so she followed Naomi, and Naomi gets back into her home territory that I don't even know if she ever should have left, but that's another message for another day. And there's this man with this field named Boaz, and she sends Ruth out to the field to pick the leftovers for food, and Boaz notices her, now, I think it seems biblically that Boaz was maybe a little later in his years and Ruth was still pretty young in her years. So it's not odd, really, that an older single man would notice the young, like, hey, man, who's that in my field? She getting our food. Uh, I'm going to go talk to her. And so they, they just have this, this intriguing little uh, conversation and, and, and Ruth goes back to Naomi, and she's like, I, I met Boaz. I met, I met him. He came to me, and he protected me, and he told all the people to protect me, and, and I can get as much food as we need. And then Naomi says, tonight, he's going to go into the threshing floor. He's going to go and sort through all of his grain and all of his food. And when he lays down to, to go to sleep, you lay down at his feet. And so she goes. He falls asleep. She lays down at his feet. My man wakes up, pretty woman laying at his feet. He stands up, says, bless the Lord, oh my soul, and all that. No, he didn't. He's really just like, well, you know, 
oh my, this, is, this isn't gonna look good. In fact, like he, he's not even really comfortable that she's there because you know he knows that the New Testament writer will say you should shun the very appearance of evil. That would be a new one for us to work on, but that's another message for another day as well. Boaz decides that he wants to redeem Naomi's line through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But he is not the rightful redeemer. There's somebody else that is first in line. And in his integrity and character, even though nobody would have known, but that's what integrity is. It's doing the right thing whether anyone knows or not. In his integrity, he gathers some elders of Jerusalem at the gate and he finds the rightful redeemer. Okay, hang in here. This is a longer point than a shorter point than a finishing point, okay? He takes these elders and they gather around and he tells them the story, what's going on, and he explains that this guy, and that's what we're gonna call him today, because we don't know his name. We know Boaz, we know Naomi, we know Ruth, and we know this guy. He gets him and he explains hey, you're the rightful heir, and you're the one that should marry her, and you should inherit the land. And the guy's like, let's go, you know, because he wasn't married either. And Boaz is like, oh, wait, I forgot to tell you something. And then we pick up in Ruth chapter 4, verse 5. So Boaz tells him, this is brilliant, by the way. Of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. Can you hear him? I can. Maybe it's just me. I mean, he makes her sound like an ugly spider. The Moabite widow. You have to marry her. That way, she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. In verse six, this guy says, well, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, the one who was rightfully responsible to redeem the family, he replied, because this might endanger my own estate. See, redemption always has a cost, just like discipleship, just like following Jesus. I would love to tell you that, that it's just all been done and there's nothing left for you to do, but we know, as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that we have a responsibility in this thing we call redemption. I can't do it because it might endanger my own estate, my own finances. The will of God might get in the way of what I want. Mm, I didn't say that in first service. So the guy, this guy, he says, you redeem the land. Look at what he used. I cannot do it. Never confuse what you cannot do with what you are not willing to do. And Boaz, my man says, very well, I'll do it for you. Is it okay if I do it for you? Let it be known according to all the elders and all the witnesses that this guy said he didn't want to, and I will. <laughs> and so Boaz goes and redeems the family. And Boaz is known throughout history as the one who was willing to pay the price for redemption. And now today, if he's even in heaven, that guy walks around in the kingdom of God by himself as everyone points at him and laughs, knowing, hey, there he is. 
It's that guy. That guy could have married Ruth. <laughs> what an idiot. If he's even there. I mean, he might not even be there. He might be like, hey, where's that guy? You remember that guy that was in the story? Because Ruth, after marrying Boaz, had a son named Obed. Who had a son named Jesse. Who had a son named David. And that guy was supposed to be married to Ruth and have a son named Obed, who had a son named Jesse, who had a son named David, who 14 generations later had a son named Jesus. And Boaz ends up in the line of Jesus because he was willing to pay the price. And that guy gets left out of God's plan even though he was predestined and positioned. He was not willing to pay the price of redemption, so he missed out on what God had for him. He's like the guy in high school that shows up 20 years later and looks like he ate a former version of himself. <laughs> he was most popular, most likely to succeed, supposed to marry the captain of the cheerleading squad, have beautiful children, and become multimillionaires that change the world. He's living in his grandmother's basement wearing suspenders to keep up his pants. It's that guy who had it all laid out for him but was not willing to do anything with it. So as a sub point to number one, don't be that guy. Number two, redemption requires rebirth. See, the price of redemption is surrender. You've got to surrender what you want. Do you remember when Jesus was in the garden? Did it look like he wanted to pay the price of redemption? He said, Father, if there is any other way, let this cup pass from me. But not my will. See, he wasn't like this spoiled by position redeemer. He wasn't interested in what he wanted. He was interested in what God wanted. The price of redemption is surrender, but redemption requires rebirth. Nicodemus, immediately, and if you've never seen The Chosen, I'm telling you, you are missing the voice of God. Well, they add too much to the, well, you add too much to the text. Go watch the show and quit being judgmental and over-spiritual. If you watch that, it leads up to this scene and this conversation, which is very biblical, that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he didn't want anybody to see him during the day. And they have a conversation, supposedly according to the scene on a rooftop, and they go down through John chapter 3, and they're having this conversation. Nicodemus, hear me, is more prominent than any bishop, pope, priest, or pastor in, the, in or alive today. Nicodemus knew more about rules, routine, and religion than any person on earth at this moment. Nicodemus had access to the holy of holies. He was prominent. He was positioned. He was a Jewish priest. He checked off all the boxes, dotted all of the I's, and crossed all of the T's. And Jesus looked at him and said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Now, I'm not here to ostracize one system of faith or promote necessarily another over. 
I am here to ostracize anything that does not go in line with this word and or anyone that leaves part of this word out and calls it what God wants for their lives. In this word, it concerns me, if I just look at this word, not what we may or may not have added to this word, not necessarily what is tradition and or history and or preference, and everybody is guilty of that, but it concerns me when there are entire systems of faith that say they believe in Jesus, but they leave out the fact that you as a person must have a salvation experience where you go from darkness to light, dead to life, and you are reborn. Nicodemus doesn't even understand it. He says, well, am I supposed to go back into my mother's womb? If I'd have been Jesus, I'd have slapped him for his sarcasm. <laughs> now, that'd be very hypocritical of me because I'm sarcastic by nature. But Jesus, in his patience, he doesn't say, no, you don't go back into your mother's womb, you smart aleck priest. He just says, you know, Nicodemus, what you thought is not as high as what my daddy thinks. And you're thinking about physical things, but I'm talking about eternal things. You, you were born of blood and water, just like everyone else, but if you wanna inherit my father's kingdom, you must be born again of the spirit. And it's this idea of being born again that is bigger than I think most of us give it credit for. See, when we think of redemption or rebirth, we actually think more like a computer that's like refurbished. Like we go back to our original form. Uh, when I first got here, we had this little air Mackie thing. It was like, it was tiny. I'm like, I don't even need glasses. I don't like this thing. It was thin. I felt like I was going to snap it in half just by holding it. So I didn't like it. I gave it to Pastor Lydia. <laughs> she loved it for a few years. We bought her something new and pink since then. But anyways, it's, um, I, got, I got this, and I was excited. I was stoked. I, I got this refurbished computer, 2015. This is like 2017. But it had all the original ports. I didn't even have to buy an adapter because they went to Thunderbolt stuff, whatever. Had all the original ports. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. I got a refurb. Come on. I'm all about used stuff. Like you pay the tax title license on the original cost and I'll buy it from you when you get sick of it. That's my kind of living right there. So I had this computer. My wife now has it. Like I handed it down to her because, you know, I needed a new one. And so I have another refurbished computer. And, and, and my wife uses the old one, and the old one is actually, she, she gets a little frustrated with it. She's like, what did you do? It's a computer. She's trying to run a school on a 2015 refurb. It's not operating the way that it was operating. It was refurbished, but it was not reborn. And God doesn't want to just refurbish us into like our original form or a better version of ourselves. I think of it this way. Pastor Dylan did this for us right before service. These are some computer parts uh, that, that didn't work anyways. Is that a CD-ROM? Do we still have those? What are, okay, anyways, so that comes out, and, and you got all these pieces. Listen, 
in my hands, this is a mess. I can't do anything with this. This right here, I think, is the hard drive. I don't know. If it, you, somebody could tell me it was, and I wouldn't know the difference. And sometimes people just try to solder like little pieces of the hard. The hard drive is like the brain of the computer. This is, this is a representation of the repentance of a computer. Okay? In my hands, I can't do anything with this. I mean, it's cool looking, but to me, it looks like more like Braille than it does a hard drive. Like, I'm like, I don't know what these letters mean, okay? I can't do anything with it. But in the right hands, in the right hands, the person can take a new hard drive and the old parts, and the, the hard drive can be reborn, and he can give rebirth to a, not just a, a, an original form, but an even better version of the original form, which is actually the original intent. We actually have multiple people right now on our media team who help build a computer that runs everything that we send out all over the place. And for me, it's just a bunch of junk. It's just a mess, but in the right hands. Come on, I'm telling somebody today that you may feel like a wreck and a mess, and you've broken down, and you're all apart. You're in pieces, and you need somebody to put the pieces back together again. I'm telling you, you don't need anybody to put the pieces back together again. You need God to remove the old pieces and replenish it with new pieces so that you can be reborn into what he has for you to be. And by the way, when you are reborn, you don't get to stay a baby. I'm going to preach it a little bit right here, and some of you aren't going to like it. But as a leader that knows a little too much sometimes, and by the way, if you don't want people to know, you don't have to post it on social media. I've just, you don't have to. And stop unfollowing me just so you can act like an idiot. That's hateful too. I don't even remember what I was about to say. I have so many people, they receive salvation and then they just remain right there. Expect everybody else to feed them. They walk around looking for a reason to be offended. Walk around looking for a reason to complain. Jump from field to field to field. They don't help plant, don't help water, don't help grow grass. They just jump around all over the place and eat everybody else's stuff. Take everybody else's investment. They're entitled so-called believers. What they really are is babies that never grew. You gotta go from milk to meat at some point, friend. You gotta grow from a baby to a toddler, a toddler to a teen, a teen to an adult, come on, and an adult to a seasoned believer who understands that I'm no longer here just to be a better version of my former self. I have been reborn so that I can be redeemed, so that I can become more like Jesus, not just better than other people. So stop being a baby. You're welcome. I decided not to make that the point because I felt like God told me not to. But here is the final point. Redemption as a price. Redemption requires rebirth. And number three, redemption leads to restoration. You're not just put back together to your former self so that you can do things correctly for a little while and then fall apart over and over again. 
but in my experience as a pastor, and, and even as a follower of Jesus, I, I have noticed that everybody is excited about receiving salvation. But when it comes to sanctification and restoration, people get frustrated and then they just fall away. Listen, I, I believe I, the enemy is not omnipresent, the enemy is not omniscient, and the enemy is not omnipotent, which means he can only be in one place at one time, okay? He's not all-powerful, and he only knows what you tell him. But I do think that he studies, and, and the third of heaven that fell with him, and he's watching, and so I believe that if you want to be offended, he will give you a reason. If you want to complain, the enemy will give you a reason to complain. If you don't want to contribute to the kingdom of God, if you just want to stay a baby and claim to be reborn, then he will allow you to do that for the rest of your life. But for every fallen angel, God has two. And the last time I checked, Lucifer's outnumbered three to one. And God does not want you to stay the way that you came out of your mother's womb anymore that he wants you to stay the way that you were reborn into his will. He wants you to grow. He wants you to be restored. He doesn't want you to walk around frustrated and unfulfilled and angry at every other thing that comes up and frustrated with life. No, he wants you to accomplish his will. He wants you to be in Christ, accomplishing his will for your life so that you and the people that you have influence with and over inherit the kingdom of God. That's his purpose. Not just that you would be saved, but that you would also be sanctified, consecrated, set apart, and made holy. God didn't just put you together so you could continue to fall apart over and over again. Now listen, I, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to be careful because I've had conversations with people that I love and, and I have presented incorrectly out of sarcasm. Um, one, I don't talk to my children the way that I preach to you and I don't talk to people the way that I preach. I, I preach to inspire and encourage and even exhort and challenge. Um, but two... Can I, can I just, I don't have, hear me, listen, lean in. Or some of you are going to be like, whoa, what? Okay, hold on. Because I got two crowds. I don't have, actually, I got 22 crowds. Did you say yesterday? No, listen to the whole thing. Okay. I don't have anything against what some people call Mardi Gras. I don't have anything against cooking a pig come on somebody that does not offend me at all I don't have anything against coming together in the community and having family friendly events that I can bring my children to what I have against this word Mardi Gras is not what it could represent but what people make it represent. I have, now it does, mean, it does mean indulgence. Just the word itself means indulgence. And the last time I checked, God's word is very adamant against indulgence. 
He actually calls it gluttony. It's one of the seven deadly sins. Just throwing that out there. But I don't have anything against something I can bring my children to. Something I can bring my wife to. But I'm telling you right now, if next week you can't go to one of these celebrations and not sin, then you would do better to stay home. I'm telling you right now, if you can't be in the world without engaging in the world, then you would do better to be apart completely. Because God wants you to be redeemed, not just in a worship center, but no matter where you are. And there's never a time that he's okay with you not representing his kingdom and or the fact that you are redeemed. He's not okay with us just being reborn and then living however we want to, doing whatever we want to do and calling it indulgence right before we fast, right before we prepare for Easter. That's not what scripture wants from our lives. Okay, but Ruth, Ruth, a Moabite widow, she doesn't even deserve to be in the story, but God, a worthless, reprobate according to Jewish people and all that happened to her and her worth was very little according to everyone around her except for Boaz and Boaz was willing to pay the price of redemption and Ruth because she made Naomi's God her God Ruth and Naomi became restored and the Bible says that Naomi became known as blessed among women because of the redemption of Boaz. Now, that's a cool story. But it's really not that impressive. I mean, what old single guy wakes up with a woman at his feet is not willing to pay the price to be able to marry her? I mean, Boaz just did what any other man would do. But there's another story. And it's the story of a minor prophet. I won't read you the whole thing, I promise. This is why I was stuck. I was trying to figure out how this fit in. This guy's name is Hosea. I understand Boaz. I don't get Hosea. Hosea is a prophet of God. Like he is hearing from the Lord. And the Bible says in Hosea chapter 1, that when the Lord first began speaking to Israel through Hosea, he said to Hosea, go and marry a prostitute. Y'all missed it. This guy stood up in the city square and announced from the pulpit, I've been praying in the presence of the Lord and I have heard the voice of God today. The Lord has spoken to me and he has told me, Hosea, goest and marrieth a prostitute. Thus saith the Lord, bless the word. I mean, imagine him going to his mom. Hey, mom, good to see you. Been spending time with Jesus. 
He's been so good to me. He's spoken to me recently. Well, hang on, hang on. Let's make it real. Gabriel, 10 years from now, plus five, comes to us. He says, Mom, yeah, baby. Oh, shibu, wakey, baby. <laughs> Mom, I've, I've been praying. I know y'all been praying for me since I was real young. And I've been praying recently. I feel like I've heard from the Lord. Okay, baby, what'd he say? He told me that I should go down to Bourbon Street. <laughs> Check the corner. Find the prettiest prostitute and bring her back home to our family. Have children of prostitution. Listen, if you didn't take advantage of children's ministry today, that is not my problem. I have warned you. I have warned you. This guy, Hosea, this don't make no sense. And the Bible says, Hosea marries Gomer. Gomer. The daughter of De Blame. Who's De Blame? He's De Blame. That's not even how you say that, but that's her daddy's name. I mean, he had a baby, and she comes out, and everybody's like, what are you going to call her? He's like, uh, Gomer. What you going to name your next one? Ernest T., my Lord. Could be, pray it out a little bit. I mean, she was set up for failure from the day. Gomer. I don't get this guy, Hosea. I'm going to tell you a personal story just for fun because you're engaged. Um, Megan and I met in college. She was at Louisiana Tech. I was at LSUS. She had a boyfriend, and I didn't care. Um, well, then she transferred to LSU Shreveport, and not for me, just because of life. And, and I had a friend run up, and she's like, dude, that girl's here. And I was trying to play it cool. I knew what he was talking about. And I was like, what girl? Which one? You know? <laughs> I was like, the girl from tech. For the, the, the. I was like, okay. She's got a boyfriend. I don't care about that. On the inside, I knew that if I could break them up, then they didn't need to be together anyways. It's my philosophy. I mean, if I can talk you out of getting married, then you didn't need to get married because the devil would have done it for you later and it would have cost you more. Anyways, one day she's at, I don't even know how we got one another's numbers, um, but she calls me. I'm, I remember where I was. I was on Burt Coons, right behind the veterinary clinic. You called my phone. I was on the way to the baseball field. She said, hey, what are you doing tonight? And I was like, I don't know. What are you doing tonight? She's like, well, you want to go to a movie? And I was like, probably not. <laughs> like, I'll go to a cool movie. What kind of movie are you thinking about? We're kind of talking. I was like, whoa, do you still have a boyfriend? She was like, I mean, yeah. And I was like, whoa, just you want to go to a movie with me, like on a date? I mean, not like a date. I mean, there'd be other people there. I was like, well, hang on. I don't need no more friends. I got plenty of friends. If you want to go on a date with me, you call me back. I don't care if you got a boyfriend or not. I will take you out, girl. But don't be playing with my cell phone, playing with my mind. You call me back when you don't have a boyfriend, you want to go on a date. I hung up. We got married and had three kids. Look at me. Why do I tell you that? Because I don't get this dude, Hosea. I don't get it. Like, if she left me, I'd be hurt for a little while. Like, I'd be real mad. Somebody'd probably die. But this guy, Hosea, he goes and marries this woman as an illustration to the nation of Israel. Because God says, 
I'm going to use this as an example for how Israel, Louisiana, Acadiana, even the church has been acting. I'm going to use this as an example of how people who are supposed to be living for me actually live, and it's idolatry in the form of entertainment. And Hosea goes after her, marries her, has three children. Jezreel, the, uh, the other one's name, unloved. I mean, this girl has like issues with naming kids. The last one is named Not My People. And then in chapter two, we see this whole illustration laid out and then at the end of it, God shows Hosea how he's gonna use it. And by the end of chapter two, Gomer has already left him and found another lover. Pick up in chapter three, verse one. Then the Lord said to me, go and love your wife again. Do you sense the transition? You think God cares what you did yesterday compared to who he knows you could be? Your fallenness and your former self are not who he sees you as. And he left the safety and the security of his home in order to bring you back to where you belong. He told Hosea, go and love your wife again. She doesn't deserve it. She's a wreck, she's a mess, and she didn't appreciate what she had the first time, but I haven't given up on her. And I believe as God didn't give up on Gomer, he has not given up on this community. I believe as God didn't give up on Israel, he has not given up on Acadiana, Louisiana, or the United States of America. And if he has not given up on any of them, then he has not given up on you. No matter how much of a mess you are in or how much of a mess you have been in, God is saying today, I came to love you again. Even though she commits adultery, this will illustrate that the Lord still loves, insert your name. Even though the people have turned to other gods and immorality and impurity and other forms of entertainment and they love to worship everything and everybody but Jesus. Verse two, Hosea, this makes no sense. So I bought her back. Hosea paid the price of Gomer's undeserved redemption. 15 pieces of silver, five bushels of barley, and a measure of new wine. Then I said to her, you must live in my house. See, this is your responsibility. I paid the price for redemption, but you were bought with a price and you are now not your own. Surrender is always part of salvation. You must live in my house for many days and you must stop what you've been doing. Jump with me to verse four. This shows that Israel will go a long time without a king or a prince. Can somebody name the last king of Israel for me? The current prince of Israel? Hosea prophesied the day in which we live thousands of years ago. And we wonder if God is still true to his word. He is showing off through thousands of years of prophecy over and over and over again. 
Israel right now is where Hosea said they would be. Without a king or a prince, without sacrifices. Can somebody tell me the last sacrifice that was made in the temple or on the temple mound to God the Father? You can't because Hosea prophesied that we would live in this time. Sacred pillars, even priests and idols. Verse five, but afterward, oh, thank God. Afterward, after we get it all out of our system, my God, and somehow we're still here, afterward the people will return and devote themselves to the Lord their God and to David's descendants, their king. In the last days, they will tremble in awe of the Lord and of his goodness. I believe that as Hosea looked past Gomer's sin and trespasses, that Jesus Christ looked down from heaven and said, Daddy, if you'll let me, I'll go redeem them. He looked at our sin and our shame, our guilt and our rebellion, and he said, I know they don't deserve it. I know that they, they need it more than their willing to want it, but I'm willing to go if you'll just let me pay for it. Everybody knows what Gomer's been doing. Everybody knows your past. Everybody knows what you did last week, but God looked down despite where you came from, despite what you did, and he wants to make you into more than where you currently are. God said, despite their rebellion, I will pay for their redemption. And we have a church full of people who used to be full of themselves, but they had an encounter with Jesus like Ruth had with Boaz and Gomer had with Hosea because Jesus Christ paid the price for our redemption. We don't get to stay the same any longer. Redemption has a price. Redemption requires rebirth. And redemption leads to restoration. So I close with the same verse that I opened. Psalm 107. Oh, give thanks. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. For he is good. His steadfast love, what a great illustration, is likened unto that of a parent and a child. His steadfast love endures forever. So verse 2, today and next week, I exhort you, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. The ones whom he has redeemed from trouble. Redeem again and anew.